to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We'll begin the reading at verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Just two verses which I think speak very clearly. What I want to talk about this morning, it's, um, it's quite an emotive subject, and uh, I think if we're honest, most of us are biased about it, and uh, I was a bit nervous when the Lord asked me to speak about it. Just, in, just if it does help you, I'm not a house group leader, uh, so I'm not in authority over you, and that's a clue to what I'm going to speak about, living under authority. Authority, you see, is a word which most of us dislike and tend to recoil from, but it's a fact of life. It's unavoidable, whether you meet it at the home, at work, in school, in church, it's there. It's unavoidable. And, uh, and despite the fact that it's unavoidable, why do, why do we recoil so much? Why should, why should it be that I should feel a bit nervous about speaking about living under authority? I, I guess there are two reasons. One of which I wouldn't say is a major reason, but one of which is just that if somebody's in authority over you, they can ask you to do things, and they might ask you to do something you don't like, <laughs> or they might ask you to do too much. Most of us are answerable to more than one person, because our boss is quite free to ask us to stay at work, and if we're committed to a church, our elder is quite free to ask us to help, our house group leader is quite free to ask us to help, and it can just be too many demands on us. But the other reason, and I think the reason that most of us actually find difficulty in coping with authority, is that most of us have been hurt by it at some point. For many of us, it started right when you were young. It started in the home. That you, your parents, perhaps, or your elder brothers and sisters, they abused their position. They abused their position of authority. And I don't want to go into that necessarily, but I know that many of us do hurt and some of us are always coming into conflict with authority. And often it's because it hurt us once, twice, early on. And we find, we find that we can't cope with it anymore. We're always afraid that it's going to hurt us. But unfortunately, the Word of God says that there is no authority except that which God has established. Okay, so God has established that. God has established that authority. That's where we've got to start from. Because God, you see, God loves us. If God establishes something, it's for our good. I'm not saying we can't go wrong, but if God establishes something, it's for our good. 
And I guess, I guess it would help us to just understand for a moment, why has God established authority? Why does God give authority in the first place? This isn't a complete list, but it, it, it does help us to see. First of all, it, it's for security. Okay? If there is authority, often there is security. I find it uh, very helpful. If I go somewhere new and I really don't know what's expected of me and I really don't know where I should go, if I can go up to somebody and say, what should I do? And they say, that man over there, or that woman over there, I'm not biased, she's in charge, <laughs> and she can tell you what you need to do. It's a great comfort to me. It's a great comfort to me when, um, when it, Alan can ask me to preach and he can take the responsibility of that. <laughs> it's a great comfort to me. <laughs> okay? Great security. But also, it's there for protection as well. The obvious example is the police. You know, every country has this, has this choice. It either has a police force or it has anarchy. Either there is somebody restraining lawlessness or it's every man for himself. The authority is there to protect. It's also there to protect us from ourselves. Like parental authority in the home. You know, you know when the little kid finds the electric switch which you've kept him from all this time and he starts playing the red and white game. Press it in and it looks red. Press it in and it goes white. Press it in again and it looks red. Press it in again and it looks white. And then he thinks, well, this is boring, after he's done it 20 times. So he thinks, what else can I do? And he finds a bit of wire, doesn't he? Finds a bit of wire and he wants to put it in the electric plug. Before he knows it, get off! (laughs) Mum, I was playing! (laughs) Mum knows about electricity, even if he doesn't. It's there to protect us. It's also there for unity. Often we want to achieve things in life. And, and as we all know, it's, it's, we can achieve more if we're together. Um, but have you ever wondered why there's, a, why there's a foreman, say, on a building site? I mean, if you've got a really good carpenter and a really good plumber and a really good bricklayer, why do you need a foreman? Well, I mean, it's great, isn't it, if the carpenter decides to come in one day and put the door up. But the only problem is that the plumber was there the day before, and what he doesn't know is that the sink is going to be there. And the pipes are already laid. <laughs> We're going to have a sink in the doorway. It's a ridiculous example, but it's just there to bring us together, bring us unity. The foreman can say, no, look, the sink's going to be there, the door will have to be there. And the same can happen in the church. It just brings us to unity, brings us together. We can see, can't we, our vision in the church. When Terry shares on a family evening, we see a vision, and together we know where we're going, and we can work to that end. And also it can bring fulfilment. Um... I guess I could say here that many of us feel that authority has actually stopped us fulfilling our place. Many of us actually at times we feel that authority has put a block on us when actually we had gifts. But the point about fulfilment is if we're going to fulfill ourselves it should be for everybody's good not just our own. See somebody may have a musical gift but it may not be the right time to bring it out. It may be more important that that person does, does something else. I think Dave, Dave Fellingham's a tremendous example of this. Incredibly musically gifted man, but under God's authority, he felt it was more important to build the church. He's moving out in his musical gifting now, 
as he sees other elders come in, but he felt it was more important to build the church. His potential was being used for the best good of everybody. Include myself in that. But having said that that's why we do it, or why God sets it up, it's there for security, for protection, for unity, and and for fulfilment. What happens when it goes wrong? Which is really what I want to talk about. How can we cope when it goes wrong? You see, the word of God says, 1 Peter 2.13, that's 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 13. It says, submit yourselves to every authority instituted among men. Okay, that is every authority instituted among men. And it actually says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Okay? Most of us here are Christians. Most of us know know God and most of us want to please him and it says for the Lord's sake submit yourselves to every authority instituted among men but it still poses a problem if we want to obey God of how are we going to do that how are we going to submit ourselves how can we possibly submit ourselves when authority seems to be going the wrong way well I find this verse in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, a tremendous help whenever I have a problem. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive help in time of need. The same book of Hebrews tells us Jesus shared in our humanity, tells us that he suffered himself, he knew what it was like to be under authority, and yet he was able to keep going under authority. So it would help us to see how he did cope. And the reason I've selected this passage from Philippians is that it shows us something of Jesus' attitude. He could cope with living under authority because he had a particular attitude. And the first bit comes out here. He was, in very nature, God. It was part of his being. He was God. But he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but he made himself nothing. See, he never, he never seemed to think to himself, I must prove that I'm God. These people don't believe me, I'm going to prove it. When he did miracles, he was free to do them to help people because he didn't have to prove that he was the son of God because he knew he was the son of God. And it's essential that we know who we are. It's essential. Many of us have heard, um, have heard people preach much more clearly than I'm going to just sum up in a moment, that we need to know who we are as Christians in order to cope with so many things. With so many things. And I believe we need to know who we are in order to cope with authority, with living under authority. See, who, who am I? I ask myself sometimes, who am I? I am a child of God. Do you know that? Do you know that I am loved 
and accepted by the Father, the creator of the universe? Do you know that I am Jesus' brother? You can say what you like against me, but I am Jesus' brother. Do you know he was born of a woman and of the Spirit? And do you know that I too, I have been born of a woman, and I too have been born of the Spirit of God. I'm a child of God. I'm loved, and I'm accepted by God. Whatever else happens to me, whatever anybody does to me, or says to me, there is one person that I can go to at any point and find acceptance and find love. It's essential that we know that because a lot of what we do, a lot of how we react to things, is our desire to be accepted. God made us to accept one another, to be accepted, to love one another, and to be loved. But sometimes we come into conflict with people And unless we know that we're accepted and loved by God, I'll expand on this in a moment, then we'll never be able to cope. You see, for instance, if you see yourself as under authority to somebody, but you're finding that you are under authority to people that are making too many demands upon your life, I mean, you all know the type of week I mean, you've got a lot of work on, you've got to work late, and your elder says to you, you're on this rotor, could you do it on Friday night? And your house group leader says to you, could you be early to house group because we're doing distribution this week? Uh, and somebody else says, you did say you would lead this particular meeting. And you've got to prepare for it. You've not just got to turn up. We all know the kind of week that we're having. And then other people start asking you things. And I don't know why, but it seems to be that they all ask you on the same week. <laughs> but... But how do you cope with all those demands? As a Christian, do you think, I'm going to go the second mile? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to go the third mile. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to go the fourth mile and end up in a hospital bed. (laughs) No. God loves you. God loves you so much that he even loves you when you increase your vocabulary from yes to yes and no. You can say no. No condemnation. You are a child of God. You've nothing to prove. You don't have to find acceptance with people. You don't have to prove yourself by always being available to everybody. You're acceptable to God. God loves you. You're free. It helps us again when when we get criticised. You know sometimes that somebody that's over you, maybe at work or something, will say to you, that wasn't good enough. And you put your heart into it. Um, I, I'm a student, so most of my, my uh, work, as it, as it were, isn't as important as it could be for some of you. Um, but sometimes I work really hard on a... On a I, w- I did this recently. I worked really hard. I had pages of notes uh, showing the results. And uh, I went up to, to Roger, who's my supervisor. And uh, bless his heart, he said to me, Oh, when you've got that printed up, I'll have a look at it. It takes ages to print something up on a computer, especially when you don't know how to use it. <laughs> and I thought, I've done all that work. And he was just basically saying, no, that's not good enough like that. I, I need it in another form. I felt, I blew it. You know, I thought, I thought I got it and I blew it. Or sometimes when we're told, told we got it wrong. Have you ever been told that? Sometimes at church you, 
who uh, bring a word. It doesn't happen very often, I'm pleased to say. It doesn't happen to that many people, but it does happen. You bring a word and somebody has to come to you and say, actually, I feel that was wrong. Or, or, Or you want to do something that needs doing and somebody says, well, you can't do it. And all these things, they bring a sense of failure, don't they? A sense... And you either get angry, you either say, who are you to say that I can't do it? Or is he going to some mad depression? <gasps> I can't do it. I'm always wrong. I'm thinking. I'm always wrong. <laughs> One or the other happens. But the truth is that God says, in a contentment, being able to cope with yourself, being able to cope with your failure, is in Christ Jesus. It's not for nothing that the Bible says He, Christ Jesus, is our peace. Not success or failure. We don't find peace and contentment in those. If you only find, if you only find peace in success, you will have very short-lived happiness. God loves you even when you fail. And take comfort, God has only got one son who never failed. The rest of us are all in the same boat. Uh, I think King David uh, provides a tremendous example of this. See, King David was such a success. God took him from being a shepherd and made him king. He won many battles. It was said of him, Saul, the first king, he's slain his thousands. But David has slain his tens of thousands. He must have really enjoyed listening to that song. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he uh, set, up, set up a country, won tremendous battles. And, uh, and he thought, great, I've done it all. I've, I've brought the ark to Jerusalem. It's in a tent. I'm going to put it in a building. So I'll do. And he said to Nathan, he chose Nathan because Nathan was a prophet. He said to him, I'm going to build a, a temple for God. And Nathan said, go ahead. Uh, and the thing is that the next day Nathan came back to him and said, God says, you're not to build it. You are a man of blood and you are not to build it. Your son is to build the temple. And what was David's reaction? He's never been told no before. Did he fly off the handle? I'm the king! You can't say no. Get out of my sight. I'm going to build it anyway. Was that his reaction? Did he go in depression? Oh, God doesn't love me anymore. <laughs> he always used to. He doesn't anymore. I'll tell you what he went into. It says quite clearly he went into the next room. <laughs> and sat down. And he said... Oh, Lord God, who am I and what is my family that you've brought me this far? And now you've even spoken to me about the future. And uh, he went on to pray a tremendous prayer. And he went on to help Solomon build the temple, wholeheartedly to help Solomon. He even helped him draw up the plans. See, his contentment, he could take that from God. He could take it from Nathan God didn't speak to him direct. He could take it from the prophet because his peace was in God. His peace wasn't in the fact that he'd always been successful. He failed, but his peace was in God.
Tremendous example. And let me say one other thing about being a child of God. That I believe God especially spoke to me this week that he wants me to share and that we ought to hear. And that is if you are a child of God, then depend on your father, not on man. Okay, if you are a child of God, depend on your father, not on man. You see, many of us, we, we expect perfection from leaders. We somehow think, you know, Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay. And uh, we understand that to mean that we're, we're human and we have weaknesses and failings. But we have the light of Christ in us. It shines. And, uh, and that's what it means. I, I believe that's what it means. But the thing is that we seem to think that whenever God puts a man in authority, he gets this big iron rod and he goes, smack! And shatters the pot. You know? Now all you can see is the light of Christ. All you can see in your elder or your housegroup leader is the light of Christ. And it's wonderful. But the truth is, God doesn't do that. Your elder's still a man. Your housegroup leader's still a man. He's still got weaknesses. He's still working things out with God. And the word of God still says, Obey those over you in the Lord. If you're not convinced, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey those over you in the Lord, that their work may be a joy and not a burden. You know, it's still talking, it's still saying we still live under their authority, although God who put them in authority knows that they're weak. He knows that sometimes they get it wrong, that sometimes they mess you about, sometimes they don't call back when they've promised, sometimes they even speak sharply to you. Um, not very often, I'm pleased to say. I think here we have some wonderful leaders. Um, but they are men. And the strange thing is that whenever we see a man in leadership, we find it so hard to forgive them, don't we? See, it's, it's, I don't know why, but if a friend of mine speaks sharply to me, I find it easy to forgive him, relatively. <laughs> but if a leader speaks sharply to me, and raises their voice when they shouldn't have done, I find it very difficult to forgive. And I'm not saying I understand why that is. I'm just saying it's there. Somehow I seem to expect that if he's in leadership, he shouldn't do that kind of thing. But the truth is that God's word says we must forgive all men. All men, including our leaders. They're human. They're like you and me. Just as we go wrong, sometimes they go wrong. And just as we need love and care, support, and just plain friendship, that's what they need too. They need love and care and support and friendship. And people that are prepared to accept them, warts and all. And uh, I just might add here that uh, in passing, if you know what God reveals to you in the past, that the reason you're struggling now with authority is in the past that you've been hurt then forgive whoever's hurt you. Okay? Even if they had no right to hurt you, forgive them. Because if you hold on to that, what you're creating is a lot of bitterness in your own heart. 
You're ruining your own life. They already messed your life up once. Why let them keep messing your life up? If they hurt you once, forgive them. Put it right. You may need help on that. And, you know, I suppose talk to your leaders if you do. But, uh, but, but I want to, you know, I want to say that very strongly. If somebody's hurt you in the past, no matter how badly, don't let them keep hurting you. Forgive them. Just as God, in fact, in Christ Jesus, has forgiven you. And you may say, well, that's all well and good. I'm going to forgive them now because they're men. But uh, can I still live under their authority? Well, again, a very vivid example is found in the Bible. You may remember Abraham and Sarah, his wife. And uh, you may remember that they were often on the move. (laughs) Set out for Mur of the Chaldees and uh, went off to Canaan. And in fact, they, they went off to quite a number of places. And, and there was one time when Abraham said to, said to Sarah, um, we're off somewhere else now. Fine, I'm used to that. Um, but where are we going um, a little bit hostile? And, uh, well, you're quite good looking and um, they, they just might knock me off, you see, and, and take you for their wife, you see. Somebody just might take a fancy to you and... And so, would you say, you're my sister? Fine plan, lo- lovely plan, you see. They will accept Abraham because he's got a wonderful sister, you see. And it's all going well, and, uh, and they're well accepted until the prince happens to take a fancy to Sarah. And she is put in his harem. And, uh, and she's in this harem because she obeyed Abraham, and Abraham had asked her to say she was his sister. And, and now she was in quite a tricky situation. But she trusted. Although she obeyed Abraham, she trusted God. And uh, God basically threatened the prince. <laughs> because we find that the prince, before he has a chance to touch her, okay, it says before he even touched her, God didn't let you know, anything go wrong. He said before he even touched her, the prince actually called Abraham in and said... What have you done? You said she was your sister. She's your wife. You could have brought judgment upon us. And, and he sent send him off with, uh, with quite a lot of gifts <laughs> and with his wife. <laughs> uh, I don't know what's, what, what he said, what God had said to that, to that prince, actually. Um, doesn't tell us what he actually said. But I, I reckon he threatened to do a number on him. <laughs> and uh, see, Sarah trusted God. And, uh, and God... God helped her out. See, Sarah lived under authority, but she trusted her father. She knew that Abraham wouldn't always get it right, but she did trust God, because he would. And I I, I just want to say that there's one other thing, though. Having said all that about, about being a child of God, having said that God gives us authority for good reasons, but that basically we can only cope with it if we live in him and know who we are. There is one other thing which I believe is essential. I'm not doing a complete thing on this, but, but I believe it's essential that we have Jesus' attitude. And it says of Jesus that he took the very nature of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And uh, the first question is, obviously, what is a servant? Well, obviously, it's somebody who serves. That's obviously where the word comes from. 
And, uh, and we often say that, don't we? Uh, we must be servants of one another and we must help one another out. Uh, and we've, we've had an example of that. I hope some people are going to uh, help move the shed. I wonder if I've got a few hours. <laughs> um, but we, we, we serve one another, we help one another. But actually, we can miss the point if we only think we're going to help. Because actually a servant is somebody who obeys his master's will. A servant is somebody who obeys. A servant is somebody who lives obediently under the authority of his master. See, when Jesus came, I'm referring a lot to the book of Hebrews. Uh, I haven't written down where this is from, but it's in, it's in Hebrews. It says, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. This is Jesus. And he says, I have come to do your will. Well, I mean, I thought Jesus came to save. But Jesus is standing there before the Father and he says, I have come to do your will. See, he did come to save, but he came to do it on his Father's terms, not on his own terms. You say, I don't quite know what you're getting at. Um, what do you mean? I mean, he, I mean, he came to do this. But what do you mean? How does that work with us? Well, the simple thing is, that it's like this, isn't it? Often we're prepared to help people out. And, uh, and we say, oh yes, you know, I'll help you set up in, in the morning. And, and, you get, and you get there, and somebody passes you a mop and a bucket. You <laughs> think, oh, well I thought I was going to set chairs out. Well, you can set the chairs out as well if you like, but actually we need, we need the floor mopped first. <sighs> Got my nice togs on. <laughs> we came to help, but we came to help on our terms. See? And God wants people that come to help on somebody else's terms. God wants servants that obey. And, uh, and you see, Jesus says this right when he appears. He says in Hebrews that when he appeared, he said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. Because uh, obedience is something that takes a long time to learn. So he set his mind. He, he had a slight advantage over us in that even before he came into the world, he could set his mind to obey. So he did. He said, it's going to be difficult, but I set my mind to obey. And that's how we have to be. Set our minds to obey. But, but you could say, well, that's fine. Jesus was talking to the Father and I am going to obey God. Okay? I am going to obey God. I'm not obeying men. Jesus didn't obey men. Jesus obeyed God. Didn't he obey men? I asked myself this question. I said, is there ever a time when Jesus showed that he obeyed men? And I was led to Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Luke 2, 51. He, that is Jesus, went down to Nazareth with them, that is his parents, and was obedient to them. His parents. It doesn't say he went down to Nazareth and was obedient, full stop. It specifically says he went down to Nazareth and was obedient to his parents. He recognised something that many of us find so difficult. He recognised that authority is something that is, or, or obedience rather, talking about living under authority, that obedience is something that has to be a part of you. You can't turn it on like a tap and turn it off 
say, I'll obey God. I won't obey him. You can choose occasionally to obey somebody, but obedience, true, full, um, unqualified obedience is an attitude. And Jesus said he recognised that God had given authority to his parents and he took the decision that he would let authority and obedience become a part of him. He set his mind to become obedient. It says in Proverbs, discipline your child and you will save his soul from death. And you and I both know, or all know, I hope, that the only actual salvation is Christ Jesus. Disciplining your child won't save him. But the book of Proverbs says, discipline your child and you will save his soul from death. Why? Because really to commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus, we have to commit ourselves to obeying him. And if we can teach our children to obey, it will be far easier for them to obey when the Lord calls. Because it's not just men that put unreasonable demands on you. God puts unreasonable demands on you sometimes. God can send you to places you really would rather not go to. God can say, why don't you move to Birmingham? They think, oh, that's all right. There are some nice places in Birmingham. I've been to Birmingham recently, and I went to a very nice place near Silly Oak. But he might say, he might say, no, there's a flat in Birmingham on the thirteenth story of, uh, of this building, and it and it's down a, um, well, a rather dirty road, and uh, and the neighbours aren't very friendly. So he may have called you to go and seek and save the lost in that kind of situation. I don't know what my response would be. <laughs> you called me that way Um, but you see if we can learn to obey if it's a part of us then we're much more liable to obey even such an extreme call of God but if we're used to to saying well I'll obey only if it's reasonable then when you get that call from God how easy it is for us to say is it from God? oh I don't know maybe it was God maybe maybe I misheard I must have misheard God wouldn't call me to such an unreasonable thing and uh, if obedience isn't a part of us and quite simply, we'll miss the will of God because whenever he asks anything unreasonable of us, he'll always try and argue it away. And most of us, unfortunately, are clever enough to do that. But, uh, but one, other thing, one other thing that I love about that quote from uh, Hebrews is that it actually refers back to Psalm 40. And in Psalm 40, what he says is, here I am, It is written about me in the scroll. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Do you know, some of us find obedience very difficult and we don't enjoy it, but we do do it because we recognise it in the word of God. But the word of God teaches us that actually we can enjoy obeying God. We can enjoy obeying the people he's put in authority. He says we can delight to do his will. How can we delight? Because his law is within our heart. It wasn't easy for Jesus to obey. It wasn't easy for Jesus to give up all the riches of heaven and come down and live amongst us. It wasn't easy for him to remain perfect under every kind of... Well, he was surrounded by every kind of imperfection. It wasn't easy for him always to choose what was perfect and what was right. And we all ourselves know, I don't have to name any, but if you think for a moment, you can think of those situations which you hate to be in because you know that you're going to react wrongly. You know that they're difficult for you. 
Uh, I mean, I personally know I play some rugby, and I personally know that it's very difficult sometimes when I'm in the rugby club to be holy. It's much easier to strive for acceptance amongst the people than it is to strive to be holy. Um, but, but we can, just like Jesus did, even though it says he learnt obedience from what he suffered, we can obey and we can enjoy it. Okay, we can have his attitude. And in conclusion, I, w- I want to ask a question in conclusion, because what I've said is, basically, if we know who we are in Christ, if we stop struggling to always be right, if we stop struggling to always make ourselves a success, if we take on the nature of a servant and we let this attitude of obedience grip hold of us so that we're prepared to obey under any conditions, then uh, living under authority does not really present a problem. If we're trusting in God, we can live under, under men's authority even. But I must admit, I ask myself, how can you do that? I ask myself, how on earth did Jesus ever live like that? How on earth did Jesus ever live and enjoy obeying all those people when, quite frankly, he knew the answers and they didn't? I wonder sometimes, did he have an iron will? Was he like some of those people that, you know, they can just decide to do something and they grit their teeth and they do it and nothing stops them? You see, it's sometimes... Like with athletes, like uh, Daley Thompson, I know that this year he was injured and didn't do so well. But he grits his teeth and he's determined to be number one. And nothing stops him being number one. And I, I mean, I respect Daley Thompson for that, but I also find that there are things in his character which show that, which show his iron will. There's things in his character which show his unbending will, where he's not able to take people to heart and things. Where Jesus never showed that. Jesus, despite the fact that he always was in obedience, it can't have been through an iron will because he was always compassionate. He was too warm with people all the time. Not just once or twice, but all the time. He was too warm with people. It couldn't have just been an iron will. I asked myself, well, perhaps he wasn't fully human. Perhaps... Perhaps it he, he never quite mattered to him as much to suffer as it does to us. But the trouble is that the word of God says he became flesh. He shared our humanity. He became flesh and blood. He suffered in every way, as we do. Every way. He suffered exactly the same as we do. But it wasn't different for him. How on earth did he manage to obey? And the only answer I could come up with is this. He loved somebody so much that he could obey. And the truth is he loved his father. He recognised that all authority came from his father. And he loved his father. He loved him so much. His love had these two ingredients that I believe are essential to any love that's going to survive and going to make it. And going to do more than just go lukewarm. He had a sincere desire to please God and to do the best for God. And he had a deep respect for God, the Father. He had a sincere desire to please the one he loved and a deep respect for the loved one. His desire comes out in such things, he says, 
He says, I can do only what I see my father doing. He says, I always do what pleases him. He actually says that. It's quoted in, uh, in John chapter 5, verse 29. He says, I always do what pleases him. And uh, not only did he have the desire to please him, but he had the respect for him. He respected him. He, he realised, Jesus realised in becoming human, that he was limiting himself. He was no longer going to know everything. He was no longer going to be see everything. He everything. He could see over mountains, lakes. He could see to the other side of the world. He could see right into men's hearts. He could do that from heaven. But on earth, he couldn't even see out of his roof. That was how far he could see. As far as was open to him, he could see. But, you know, he sat him in a room like this and he could see no further than you or I. But he respected his father, who could see. He didn't question whether his father could see. He knew that his father could see. And so it was easy for him to, to do the will of God. Because he knew uh, that his father could see. He trusted his father. He trusted every word that his father spoke. He trusted the word of God. It says in the Bible that he fulfilled the law and so became an end of it. Basically, it's referring to the Old Testament, the word of God. He fulfilled it. So became an end of it so that we can live under grace. Because he trusted the writer of the word. He trusted the father who'd written the word so he could live by it. He trusted him so much that it actually says at times, he says, there is more that I could say. But the one who sent me, that's his father, is reliable. He trusted his father. He could live under any situation. He could certainly live under authority because he trusted his father who was the authority, who was the originator of authority. He loved him. He, he loved him so much he wanted to please him. And he trusted him for any direction. And I really, I conclude by saying this. Is it any wonder, is it any wonder that Jesus should say to us, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Let's pray.